America's founding fathers believed their vision, the city upon a hill, could only succeed with a special people in a special place. Over 240 years later, we the people, our American story is still unfolding. My name is Tina McCafferty. Join me every Friday as I spotlight those who embody the American values of faith, courage, and heroism. You will be uplifted, inspired, proud, and humbled to call yourself an American. American history is more than history. It's personal. We are forever indebted to those who have given their lives that we might be free. Ronald Reagan. Episode 6, Jenny's American Story. Jenny is the wife and gold star widow of Utah Army National Guard Major Brent Taylor, who was killed in action in Afghanistan in November of 2018 while on leave of absence from his position as mayor of North Ogden City, Utah. Major and Mrs. Taylor are the parents of seven children. She is the founder and director of the Major Brent Taylor Foundation, a member of the executive board of Follow the Flag, North Ogden, an active volunteer in her children's public schools. Jenny currently serves as the civilian aide to the Secretary of the Army for the State of Utah and sits on a Survivors Advisory Working Group for the Chief Staff of the Army at the Pentagon. A former secondary educator of history, government, and psychology classes, Mrs. Taylor has a passion for helping today's youth prepare to become tomorrow's leaders. Hey, thank you, Tina, so much. Right now it's Tuesday. We're a couple of weeks from an election. There is a lot happening in America. You know, it's a, it's a busy time. It's a fast-paced time. And some would say it's a scary time or a negative time, but I, I'm an optimist for this country, and I think it's, we've got our challenges, we've got our struggles, but I'm still really excited about the, the future of this great nation, of our youth, and really grateful to join you in this conversation I love the idea of we the people and regular everyday people sharing their American stories because that's really what makes America so great is American people living the American dream, the different ways we know how, you know, none of us are perfect at it. Our country's not perfect. Um, we've all got ups and downs, but I'll tell you a lot of people, particularly here in the Utah Wasatch Front area might've heard my name or my husband's story. He was killed almost two years ago in Afghanistan while serving there with the United States Army. And, you know, those things get headlines when a soldier dies and when there's, when there's a casualty like that. And you might catch it in the news or something, but that is not at all when my patriotism started. It's not like he died that day and I decided, well, I better love America because my husband's gone. When Tina asked me to share, she put a question in an email. She said, will you tell us what does America mean to you? There's no way to answer that question like with words. What does America mean to you? What does America mean to me? I mean, that's like trying to ask, why do I love my children? Or, you know, just something so deep, so profound, something that's really such a part of me. So before I try to answer that question, I want to give you a little background because some of you might have no idea who I am and what my American story is. And some of you might have heard some of the headlines if you live near and, and maybe you've seen that. But I want to back up a little and I'm going to show you what does America mean to me. Anybody that was a child in the early 90s might remember super cool things like MC Hammer 
and the big wrapper pants and whatever was wrong with fashion then that some kids are trying to bring back now. They're kind of in the 80s, but I was a kid of the late 80s and early 90s. And when I was in fifth grade, the country, our country was at war over in the Persian Gulf and Operation Desert Storm, the Persian Gulf War, whatever you call it. That was kind of when I first felt something inside of me about patriotism or an awareness of the opportunities I have as an American or a love for this country and appreciation for the military. And it goes back to this song. Am I the only one that remembers this? It was called Voices That Care. I could sing you the whole thing, but I won't, but I could. A bunch of Hollywood stars got together and sang this song that David Foster wrote. And it said, I'll sing part of it for you because it's just fun. It said, stand tall, stand proud, those that care are crying out loud. And it was like this song of love and prayer for your safety and God bless you troops. We want you to come home soon. But it was like Hollywood and movie stars and country stars. I mean, look at that list. It's Garth Brooks, it's Celine Dion, it's all these people. And it was a time I remember feeling something as a little kid that made me proud to be an American aware that that American uh, way of life wasn't a free thing and that it came at a price. Again, I was just a 10 year old kid. I didn't know anyone serving in the military at the time. I didn't have any friends whose parents were overseas at the time. But that song and the, the discussions we had in my fifth grade class really hit home. So I was a fifth grader at Mockingbird Elementary. So I need somebody in Omaha, Nebraska to help me find Mr. John Walsh. He was my teacher, I was 10 years old, and he really helped me feel a spark of patriotism. I mean, I'm not joking, I was 10 and I felt it, and I remember it, and I've built on it since then. But I'm kind of joking, but I'm not joking when I say patriotism has been in me since I was a kid. Maybe it's kind of nerdy, maybe that's what it is, I don't know, but it's real when that war took place overseas. And again, without having any personal connection to a soldier or an airman or the military at all, I felt something that made me want to know more. These American stories, American stories of people like Thomas Jefferson and George Washington, people like Abraham Lincoln, people like everyday people that have lived through really good times and really horrible times in this country people who know the phrase, a more perfect union. Like we never said we were a perfect union, but I think we can be proud of the fact that we try every generation to get a little bit closer to perfect, to correct, to try again. It takes a long time to get 300 million people to see eye to eye or listen to each other, but I think we genuinely try. And I felt that as a little kid. So fast forward a decade, when I was in my early 20s, I left this country for the first time. I was leaving the United States to go serve a church mission in Chile, in Santiago. And I was so excited, and here I was leaving little small town Utah, going to help other people learn about God and faith and, and you know my religion. But really also, it was a time of a lot of growth, because I think leaving home for anyone is a time of growth, but I left home. I left my city, my state, my country. I left my way of life, my culture, my language. And that really helps deepen an appreciation, not an arrogance like, oh, America's way better. I love the people of the, the world that I visited and known, but an appreciation that, wow, we've got it pretty good here. We have a lot of rights. We have a lot of opportunities. We have 
abilities to disagree with our government without you know any repercussions of that we can talk with our neighbor about politics and then change the subject and go get a drink or something so i left on this mission young and ambitious and i love america but i'm excited to go to this other country and meet more of god's beautiful children around the world and i was in chile for about three weeks when the terrorist attacks of 9-11 occurred and that was a really formative time for me because I wasn't even home. And I'm sure most of you listening, if you're over the age of like 26 or 27, you remember where you were. You remember what you felt. And if you start talking long enough about it, you can flood all of those memories back. And I remember hearing that the towers had been attacked, hearing rumors of war, hearing that our homeland was under, it, just this awful sinking feeling like I'm not even there. And as much as I love my country, I wanted to be on this mission where I was out of my country. And we as, as church missionaries, we didn't watch the news. Now this is, you know, 2001, there wasn't as much, um, there was media coverage in the form of television and newspapers, but it's not like we all had a smartphone with 24 hour news coverage and certainly not as missionaries. In those days, missionaries didn't have any smart devices. So we would go into someone's home or meet people that we were talking to and they could recognize I was an American and they clearly stand out in Chile. I'm, I'm tall, I'm very fair skinned and I've got bright red hair and I speak Spanish with a horrible English accent. And so they would recognize me as an American and they would just say, we're so sorry. We're so sorry for what happened to your country. And we could see in the background that the news coverage was in their home. And again, as missionaries, we didn't focus a lot on that, but I remember this sinking feeling that was kind of twofold. I felt horrible that everything was happening and I felt horrible that I was missing it, that I wasn't there. And I'll admit that for years, I kind of felt like I missed 9-11. I, I missed it. I missed out on the aftermath when America came together. I missed September 12th when people for a minute stopped arguing about politics or small differences and, and came together and united and all the wonderful stories I've heard and I've read and I've been to the Ground Zero museums and learned and studied, but I kind of always felt like I was detached from that part of American history. And as a lover of American history, I almost kind of felt bad that I missed that. Well, fast forward a few more years, I finished my mission, I came home and I met this young man on a blind date and his name's Brent Taylor and all he ever wanted to do was join the military. And it's funny, but true, that what really brought us together was a shared love for this country. Again, maybe it's kind of nerdy. You might think I'm making it up now that I'm married to a deceased soldier, but I promise it's true. Our conversations were about how grateful we feel, how much we love history, what a heavy responsibility we feel we have to, to show our respect to those who have gone before us. Um, he had also served a church mission in Brazil. We both left our country and seen differences. Again, love the people and the places we've been, but we both felt particularly after 9-11 that we needed to, to do something. And, and the something for us as a couple and as a family was for him to enlist in the United States Army. So we were dating. He proposed in June of 2003 on a Saturday. And three days later, we walked hand in hand into the National Guard building and he enlisted as a soldier. We were married in September of that same year, 2003. And in January, he left for the first year of military training. And so we were newlyweds and yet we didn't even live together. 
but that was kind of a decision we had made that this love of country was even greater than the love of ourselves. And we missed each other horribly. And I've never cried more, you know, as this young bride, the day he left, I just felt like I would hyperventilate and not be able to ever breathe without him next to me. And yet we learned, you know, it strengthened our marriage and we did share in that commitment to our country. And I never went to boot camp or put on army boots, but I felt very much a part of his service from the beginning. And then a lot of years passed. And over the next decade, he deployed and we had a baby and he deployed and we had a baby and he deployed and we had a baby. And, you know, like Tina said in the introduction, we have seven children and they are ours. They're his and they are mine. And I've given birth to all seven of them and we had them all on purpose. And so sometimes, you know, you say you've got seven kids and people look at you like you're crazy and you say, yeah, I'm totally crazy. Like hundred percent. Don't even ask. But, um, you know, we had a good life. We had a busy life, very engaged, very driven by a sense of purpose bigger than ourselves. And I'll admit, I just felt like most of the time I was running, trying to keep up with this wonderful man I married. And, and so he deployed three times in the time that we had these four little kids. Then after that third deployment, he got involved in politics and he ran for city council, and then he ran for mayor. He remained in the National Guard, which meant, you know, once a month on a weekend, he'd go do guard things. And a couple of weeks a year, he'd go to Germany or Japan or wherever he was for a couple of weeks, and then he'd come back. But it seemed like our life, our, our day-to-day life had shifted gears from military service to political service, but still the same purpose, right? Serving our country, trying to do our part, trying to give back to what we've been given for generations. And, and so I will admit that, you know, he's serving as mayor. We've got all these babies. We had a couple more kids. Then finally, I was pregnant with our seventh baby. Again, that is seven. You did hear me correctly. And we bought a home with, um, a really big garden that we call the mini farm to teach the kids how to work and have chickens and grow things. And, and I think that's also where my husband would kind of unwind and connect with the earth when things got too stressful. And we welcomed our seventh baby into the world right about the same time that he knew about this fourth deployment. And you know that I'm not going to lie. That was hard. That was kind of a gut check. Like I love this country. I fully support this service. We're in this together. We have been for 15 years at this time. And now I've just given birth to my seventh baby and you're leaving again. But you know what? That's what we're doing. And we have a wonderful community, wonderful family. We're people of faith. We just jumped right into it. And he was really excited to go on this fourth deployment. He was attached to a group of army rangers in Afghanistan. And their job was to train the Afghans to help them learn to defend themselves, to take over their own government, their own security, their own safety. You know, I I don't believe in war without reason and war forever, and I don't think any soldier does either. We're there to try to help them have some independence and stability. Isn't that what America's all about, right? Self-reliance and, and, you know, we strengthen each other and then we move on and try to strengthen each other and strengthen ourselves and strengthen each other. And so he was really excited. And I'll admit the kids and I were, totally underwater and overwhelmed, but here we go. So he was serving this deployment um, with his whole heart and his whole soul. And he went in January of 2018. He came home on leave in August of that year. And we had a wonderful two weeks of time spent with the kids. 
our little baby was almost one and just learning to walk. Our oldest turned 13 while he was home, our first teenager. And just, we you know, felt like we're living the dream, not to say life was perfect, not to say that we were perfect at all, but you know, kind of like America, we're trying to be the more perfect union, a more perfect family. We're trying to do our part. And we got to that fall of 2018 and my birthday's on Halloween, which is coming right up as we record this live. And I kept thinking, okay, we're almost there. Cause once you get to Halloween, like Thanksgiving and Christmas go really fast. And once you get to Christmas, well then it's January again. And he left in January. So he'll come home in January. So by the time we got through the end of October of 2018, I was almost to like the coast. I'm going to coast into him coming home. Like, just hang on a little longer. We got this a little bit longer. And we had a great Halloween, had a great birthday, had a great time with the kids and starting to get ready for Thanksgiving. And the kids already, of course, have their Christmas wish list started at Halloween because they want everything. And, you know, then life flipped upside down. Because on November 3rd, two army officers knocked on my front door on a Saturday morning in their full dress uniforms. And you've probably seen enough movies to know that army officers don't really knock on your door on a Saturday morning in full dress uniforms just to see if you're doing all right. And that was kind of the beginning of this, I call it a paradigm shift, really. Um, you know, so many details changed in that moment. Here I am now, I'm, I'm a single mom. I'm not a single mom, I'm happily married. And, and I'm a widow, what? Isn't the widow like a little old lady down the street with kind of blue tinted gray hair? Like, that's not me. And then I'm watching and seeing pictures of my husband and pictures of us at his funeral and pictures of my kids getting a flag off the casket at his funeral. And, and, you know, it becomes kind of that moment in my mind where I realized this isn't just my story. Like, this is my story. I know because like, I look at the picture and that's a redhead and that's me and she's got seven kids and there's not a lot of redheads with seven kids. Right. But it's as if I stepped into an American story. And that's why I love that. That's what Tina's calling this series of of conversations that we the people have American stories to tell. And when my husband died, I lost a husband. My mother-in-law lost a son. My children lost a father. But America lost a soldier. And a few months later, when another soldier from my city died in Afghanistan, I felt it again. I never even knew him. Before he died, I didn't know his family. But Sergeant First Class Elliot Robbins died in Afghanistan, and I felt that. And then we had a Coast Guardsman from around here, Jared Reeves, and he had a valiant fight with cancer, but died while he was still serving. And we have friends that I've since met who've lost their service member. And in the past year, our community has lost an Air Force pilot, First Lieutenant Cage Allen, whose plane went down in a training exercise. And our city, our greater community, lost a police officer from the Ogden City Police Force, Nathan Lighting. And all of those, even though I never knew those people, except for my own husband, every one of them hurt as a citizen. Every one of them felt like my loss, even though I wouldn't intrude on their family's loss, of course. That's very unique and special. But it felt like I, as an American, lost those men. I, as an American, mourn the men and the women who have died for, like Tina said, almost 250 years. 
So I don't look at this American story and think, oh, there I am. And it's all about Jenny and it's all about Brent and those seven little kids running around. But it's a story that's so much bigger than us. So you ask me, what does America mean to me? It's sacrifice. It's service before self. The whole concept of the American dream is that your life can be better than it is. That to me is the entire word hope in a sentence. My life can be better than it is. Your life can be better than it is. You know, 100, 200 years ago, when we had a lot of immigrants coming to this country in the beginning, they came looking for a better way of life. They still come looking for a better way of life. I wake up every morning trying to create and work for a better way of life. We as a country right now, we're going through a lot of difficult discussions. We're going through discussions that are hard to have, maybe some self-reflection that's hard to look inside and say, well, maybe I have seen that wrong, or maybe I've said things that could have been taken the wrong way or, or weren't what I meant. And again, we're not perfect, but we're working together so that our future can be better than today. Everyone who's gone before us for those hundreds of years knew that. Like every one of us is a farmer. I think American citizens are farmers. We're planting seeds. And some of the seeds grow quickly and easily and sprout and we see them and we enjoy the fruit or the flower. And some of the seeds might take decades or generations to bloom. But that doesn't mean we don't plant them. It means we plant them for our kids and our grandkids. Recently, I was with a group of young soldiers down at the ROTC program at Brigham Young University. And these are young men and women just new to the army, in college. They've got all of their lives ahead of them. And I told them they will be among the men and women directing the United States Army when my grandchildren have grandchildren. They'll be the ones making the decisions at the Pentagon, on Capitol Hill, at the White House. As much as this hurts to look at these pictures and see my husband's casket draped with a flag, my mother-in-law crying next to her grandchildren, me holding my own children who now will be raised without their father by their side. It's a somber reflection, but it's a grateful moment to think men and women are still willing to do that for us. So in a really unexpected turn of events, this American story kind of flipped inside out and turned into the twilight zone. And less than a year after my husband died, um, I got a phone call and was talked to about a position called a CASA, a civilian aide to the Secretary of the Army, C-A-S-A. And this um, is a civilian position. It's a volunteer position. It's not paid. And it's an opportunity for someone in each state, larger cities have their own, but the state of Utah just has one, to kind of connect the army here in our, in our area with the directors of the army in the secretary's office back in the Pentagon. And, you know, it's a position I didn't know existed. I certainly didn't grow up thinking, man, I can't wait to grow up and be the CASA because that was not even on my radar. And yet our American story presented me with an opportunity to serve kind of in the wake of my husband's service. And it was a really tender moment when in January of this year, before COVID and everything broke out, I went to the Pentagon. I took my mom, my sister, my oldest daughter, and I was in the Pentagon with the Secretary of the Army and I raised my hand to the right square. And I took an oath, very similar to the oath 
like my husband took when he joined the army. Like I said, I've never been to boot camp. I've never worn combat boots. But I have a different opportunity, a different way to serve. And of course, I really believe our greatest opportunity, all of us as Americans to serve, is at home. And in our neighborhoods, and in our schools, maybe on your city council, maybe in a club, a recreation program you run. You know, we all have these opportunities to not just live the American dream, but to encourage each other, to share these dreams with each other, to encourage each other. And when I look at this and think of this great American story, again, I know it's not, it's not my story. It's not about me. It's not really even about my husband. It is a lot about our kids. You know, we could have a different conversation about the ones who really pay the price for freedom in this country are the children of those who die protecting us. But we just now somehow kind of represent hundreds and thousands of other families like ours who have paid that sacrifice, who've been willing to put their best foot forward, who've been willing to say, I make mistakes and I'm still gonna try anyway. And that's what I love about this country. And, and even when we have discussions about Supreme Court or elections, I mean, there's a lot going on, racial tensions, riots, there's, we're living history right now. But America's been through hard things before. And America's experienced growing pains before. And America's been humble enough and wise enough to step back before and say, you know what, we can be a little better. And in saying that, I don't in any way look to our past and say we need to hide it or we need to be ashamed of it or we need to apologize for it. Not at all. But I think we do need to improve upon it. And I think our founding fathers would want us to. I mean, don't you want your children and grandchildren to be better than you are, <laughs> to do better, to learn from your mistakes or to, um, to build upon the great legacies that have gone before us? And so that's kind of what I... I feel like our family's American story is right now. It's very personal for us, this American dream, this legacy, these heroes in a history book or at Arlington National Cemetery. It's personal because my husband's one of them. Now, he's not buried at Arlington, but he died serving our country. And he's not really in a textbook, but he's representative of those who are. And to think, you know, what, what can we do as Americans now to make their sacrifice worth it. And I recently had an opportunity to give a TED talk, which was crazy and awesome and scary and exhilarating all at once. You know, if you've ever watched a TED talk, they're like 12 minutes. And, you know, I was speaking about patriotism. How do you speak about patriotism in 12 minutes? How do I tell my life story, my love for this country, my appreciation, my husband, all of these things. But I chose to do so with a single question and I'll ask it to those of you who are listening now and give you a second to think about it. The question is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I mean, right now there are riots in the street, there are arguments in DC, there are terrible things on the news each night. Is it worth it? Hundreds of thousands of men and women have died defending this country here and abroad. Hundreds and thousands of men and women have fought in wars here and abroad. Arguments have been had, treaties have been made, constitution has been written, compromises have been, have been met. And the question is, is it worth it? And 
You know, I had a reporter ask me that once, um, right about the same time I was asked if I would be the CASA, Time Magazine came and hung out at my house for a couple of days, which like no big deal, whatever. And they just followed us around with the photographer and, and the reporter asked us all these questions. And at one point he asked me um, something to the effect of, is my husband's life worth, death worth it? Is it worth it? And I think he was trying to get into whether or not I felt the war was worth it or, you know, I'm not sure where the question was going, but I could answer him without any question. My husband's death will absolutely always be worth it, even if only to me. And I will make sure I live a life that proves that's worth it. I don't need political spin to tell me if his life was worth it. And again, I'm not arguing in favor of war forever. And that's a conversation for another day. But I think it's kind of on us to look at it and say, what is it that can make it worth it for our generation? We all look back, Tina and I've talked about this, the greatest generation, right? World War II. They're wonderful. They're phenomenal. They are famous for being great, right? And there's not very many of them left, but we talk about them collectively like this great generation of men and women, of heroes, and they're usually pretty quiet and they won't tell us their war stories, but man, we think they're awesome. And sometimes I worry that we, as younger generations, are kind of using that as an excuse. Like they were so awesome and so great that they paid for America's greatness forever, and now we just get a kind of cruise through and it doesn't even matter, which isn't true at all. And if you look at what made them so great, I would argue it's the fact that they all paid a little price of freedom. And right now in our military, we have less than 1% of American citizens currently serve in the military. I'm not one of them. Most of you probably aren't one of them. Now that doesn't mean we don't appreciate and respect it, but we are not serving. And so when you've got less than 1% of the population in the uniform, in the boots, paying that price, that's very different from World War II. When World War II, a lot higher than 1% served, and even those who didn't serve were probably the sister or the brother or the mother or the boss or the neighbor or the friend of someone who did serve. And so you're more connected to someone who paid that physical price, which makes you more aware. And I saw that when my husband died, people in our community who knew Brent, maybe because they served with him in politics, or maybe he came and spoke to their Eagle Scout group, or maybe they ran into him at the grocery store. I don't know. This is a small town. You know, it's not a huge city. But people who knew him personally, a lot of them, he was the first person they personally knew that died at war. It wasn't somebody's grandpa at World War II. It wasn't in a textbook. It wasn't just a headline on the news. But this was like that guy I saw at the grocery store last week, or I guess, you know, before his deployment. And because of that, I think it strikes that nerve and it helps all of us kind of think, well, is it worth it? There's no amount of money you could pay. There's no number of flags you could fly that say, okay, this makes it worth it. Like I no longer grieve or no longer mourn uh, the fallen. But I mean more, what are we doing to make it worth it? You know, what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis that makes it worth it for your kids or your friends? What are you doing when some of these difficult conversations need to be had that maybe make you uncomfortable? Or maybe you're talking with someone who sees things really differently than you do. How do you handle that? Do you yell and scream and insist they're wrong and feel it's your personal life mission to convert them? Or do you listen and they listen to you? And at the end of the conversation, it's okay to disagree. 
and you could still shake hands, although don't shake hands now because like COVID, don't shake hands, but you know what I mean. And so I think that's, that's kind of a reflective time for us. I joke that our, our crazy pandemic world really began in 2018 when my husband left. That's when our world flipped upside down. When he died, it felt like everything I knew or thought I knew fell apart. Every expectation, every dream, every comfort, every just for sure this is the way it is, like flew out the window. And I think that's what COVID's done to most of us, right? Every high school graduation, whoa, that didn't happen. Football games, nope, didn't happen. Birthday parties, weddings, anniversaries, retirements, go visit your grandparents in the assisted living, nope. And so, you know, one day after another, all of these normal things have been flipped upside down and it's uncomfortable. And we can look at that and say, okay, hey, this is terrible. We can complain all day. Or I hope we can all use it as a time of refinement and introspection. Uncomfortable times can make us stronger. Um, losing a loved one can really strengthen our faith. It can strengthen our determination. It can strengthen our commitment to a cause. And not just if they die in war. But, you know, that's what I'm hopeful. Like I said, there's a lot going on in this country that worry a lot of people. And, and I don't know that we need to necessarily be worried, but I think we need to be mindful. I think we need to look at it and say, we can't just let this country fall apart. We can't let the greatness of America die when that last World War II veteran is buried. Not because we don't care about him, but because we can't let him die without us picking up that torch and saying, I've got it from here. You know, the World War II people who are still alive are in their 90s or over 100. Don't let that candle go out in the night. Like, pick up the torch and run with that flame and say, I, I've got that. You know, that's what I think of a lot with my husband when I get discouraged, when I get frustrated, when I get just sad. Grief is sad. Loss is sad. And there's times when I, you know, literally I'm sitting on my kitchen floor just crying, looking at the spilled Cheerios all around me, thinking, now I got to get up and clean up the Cheerios. But in those moments, I try to think of my husband. I try to think of the hundreds of thousands of others like him. I try to think of the soldiers and other service members who are still alive, but willing to die for me. And I think if they can do what they've needed to do, I can do what I need to do. And I don't have to do it perfectly. And that's a great weight off my shoulders. And I don't have to expect perfection from other people. And that's a great weight off my shoulders because I don't have to be mad at everybody for being imperfect because we're all imperfect, right? But I can look for ways to maybe do something. Maybe that something is, you know, reading with my kids, talking to a neighbor. Um, I would like to think maybe I can be helpful to someone else in their time of need, but mostly lately it feels like I'm the service project for everyone who knows me. And I'm very grateful for that. I think, man, someday, someday I'm going to be back to helping other people more. But, um, you know, you look for the little things. I think a lot of us get hung up trying to have the big answers. I want to solve Americans' problems. I want to fix everything. I want a magic wand to make it done. And that gets frustrating because guess what? That's not a thing. But the little things can happen. And I talk a lot about that um, whenever I give speeches or share my thoughts with people. There's a lot of things we want to fix. And there's a lot of things that need fixing. But I think our best approach is to try to help each other face it. Because I don't have a magic wand. 
And I can't fix, I mean, I can't bring my husband back. I can't say world peace and magically it happens, but I can try to face the day, face the challenge of the day. I can try to be not just optimistic where I sit back and say, this is all going to work out because I'm going to sit here and let it work out, but find a way to help, find a way to serve. For some people that will mean joining the military. For some people it might mean running for political office. For some people like me, it might mean raising my family and teaching them the great history of this country, including the ups and the downs, and teaching them that the men and women who founded this nation and have kept it going for over 200 years were imperfect people. And I'm okay with that because that lets me know it's okay if I'm imperfect. Now I don't use it as an excuse, but it helps me know, hey, they did wonderful things while working through their imperfections. We can do wonderful things while we work through ours. So when I think about what it means to be an American or what this country means to me, I think back to that fifth grade class, John Walsh, the teacher, telling us not just what was in our textbook, but showing us the, the news of that Persian Gulf War. TV was like maybe this big, like maybe, maybe as big as my laptop screen, except it was like five times wider. Remember how deep they were? A tube TV. You didn't have flat screens or LED back then. There wasn't even internet. I don't know how we watched the news in classroom. It must have been like a dial TV, but we did. And I want to close with one thing about that time that I didn't mention yet that made it so special for me as a 10-year-old. There's a bunch of us in that class. We're 10 years old. We're pretty clueless. You know, we're playing jumping jacks at recess or whatever. One of the members of that class was a 10-year-old boy named Abdullah. And he wasn't American. He was an Afghan. And his family had recently left Afghanistan and come to America in pursuit of that American dream. And our teacher was able to help. I mean, we just, we played with him like he was one of the kids. We didn't worry that his color, his skin was a different color, that his English had an accent. We just loved him and played with him and had a great time. But it helped us to realize he was willing to leave his country. In fact, they felt they needed to leave their country in order to be safe and get away from the wars at the time the wars against the soviet the soviets that were happening there and they came to this country because this country offered them a promise that their life could be better tomorrow than it was today and that was 30 years ago and i still remember it vividly i remember that song that all the hollywood stars came together to support our troops i remember that teacher those kids in that class i remember that spark in my heart I remember, like I said, feeling badly that I'd missed 9-11, not knowing that the events of that day would shape everything about my future. Because the man I married really wanted to join the military, but he really wanted to join it more after 9-11. And the war he fought in Afghanistan where he gave his life. So even though I wasn't living in America the day that happened and I always kind of felt like I'd missed a piece of American history, I'm learning I've just stepped right in to American history. And we all do, in big ways or little ways, on the news or off the news, in a big corporation or on a battlefield or maybe home with some babies and books. We all have our American story to tell and it's up to us to tell it well. So I'm just so grateful for this chance to share a few thoughts. I'm grateful for my husband and those like him who have served the men and women in every branch through every decade that put on a uniform every day. And even if they don't say it out loud, when they put that uniform on, their actions say, I'm willing to die for you. 
So I have the determination that I'm willing to live for them and the opportunities they've given me. And I always say that we best honor those who have been willing to give their lives for us by making something of honor out of the lives they have given to us. And that is exactly what I intend to do. And it's exactly what America needs us to do. So when you ask yourself, what does America mean to you? Or is it worth it? Will it be worth it? It's up to you. You decide. The way you live your life, you decide. The way you chase your dreams, you decide. The attitude you have, being willing to try again when you fail, that's how we decide. And I just feel like we owe it to them, those who have given us so much, to say the least I can do is the least that I can do. But I can do that much. Thanks for letting me share a few thoughts. Tina, thank you for starting this conversation. I'm really excited for future series and speakers and people to share what America means to them. That's what's so beautiful this country. We're going to hear so many unique stories and isn't that great that we can work together and just make it better one day at a time, one story at a time, even one fallen soldier at a time. Jenny has an amazing American story. She is a force to be reckoned with. When I met Jenny, we discussed many things and two of them really stuck with me. One was her husband would not have wanted to die any other way. And second, his death made her even more patriotic. That gives you some insight into the kind of person that Jenny is. There are more people out there like Jenny. There are more American stories to tell. This is only part of the beginning, and I cannot wait to share those stories with you. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast and to leave a rating. If you want more American history, I would love for you to be a part of the Facebook group, American History, Our Heroic Journey. Next week, I'll have another incredible American story to share with you. Until then, see you soon.